We appreciate your presence tonight. We're going to be looking at the passage that was read a moment ago, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 and following. As we think about the Lord is always in control. I appreciate so much your presence tonight. If you're visiting, we always want you to know that we appreciate so much your presence. We would encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. I know that there have been a number of folks that have visited with us and some have placed membership. We're always glad to have new members and it may be the case that you're looking for a church home. And so we would encourage you to consider the work here and we would love to have you come and join hands with us. As we look at Mark chapter four tonight, I want us to think for a few minutes about how the Lord is always in control. Life can be unsettling. Circumstances can change on a dime. And yet to know that God is on his throne and in control. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, one of the things that his disciples came to understand and appreciate is the fact that no matter the circumstance or situation, Jesus Christ was always in control. And so as we look at the fourth chapter of the book of Mark tonight, I want us to note for just a minute or two what Mark has to say about a situation that occurred on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, along with the disciples, were crossing to the eastern shore, and as they made that trip, a great windstorm arose. The disciples, no doubt, were fearful. So they cried out to the Lord, and they had the opportunity to see his great power. I want to begin tonight by talking about the dangers that they faced at sea. The Bible says that in verse 37, a great windstorm arose. Of course, they're at sea. I want to begin by calling attention to the suddenness of the storm. Read with me, if you would, verse 35 beginning. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. When they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. Matthew, in his account, in chapter 8, verse 24, says a great tempest arose. And the Bible says the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. The Sea of Galilee was approximately, is approximately 13 miles long, some seven miles wide, ranging anywhere from 130 to 148 feet in depth. Some have said that because of the terrain, the lay of the land, the sea could literally be calm one minute and raging the next. Such was the scene painted by Mark in the long ago. Not only was it a sudden storm, but Mark tells us it was a severe storm. Note again what is said in verse 37. A great windstorm arose, 
and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. If you go back and look again at Matthew's account, Matthew said that the waves were covering the boat. Literally, it was filling up with water. Some of you have probably been out on a lake. Maybe you've been at sea. And you have been caught in the middle of a storm. And you have felt the wind and the waves whipping against the side of the boat. I remember talking to some folks some time back that had taken a cruise up into Alaska. And they talked about the rocky sea and how on one occasion a doctor had to be called to help them because of the nausea. That ship, though a large vessel, was unstable in the midst of that great sea. As we think about the severity and the suddenness of this storm, I want to pause here for a minute or two and just think with you about the storms that we face in this life. I think that there are always lessons that we can learn when we read about the life and times of Jesus as we see him interact with people and the circumstances that he and others found themselves in. I want to begin by just calling to attention the source of the storms that we face in this life. Some storms that we face are self-inflicted. Others are not self-inflicted. They are beyond the scope of our control. When I think about people that face self-inflicted storms, I think about individuals that have made poor decisions in life. Others, because of neglect, are facing the rocky seas of life. You know, every decision that we make, there is, there is an effect that takes place. In other words, for every action, there is a corresponding reaction. And the decisions that we make ultimately have a lot to say about our destiny in life. Not just our eternal destiny, but our plight here on planet Earth. There have been people that I've known in days gone by that have made some very poor decisions in life. And because of those poor decisions, they have suffered the loss of their family. Some have lost a mate because of neglect. Poor decisions, failing to take care of things at home. Sometimes parents wring their hands in anguish because their children have not turned out as they had wished or anticipated. Sometimes it is a result of a failure on the part of parents 
to instruct, educate, and discipline. Think about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 4. And your fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Many of us have talked to brothers and sisters in Christ that are now on up in years. And we have hurt with them because they have expressed heartache because they weren't the parents that they should have been. They didn't lead by example. They didn't teach and instruct. Sometimes we put our profession before our family. When you do that, you'll pay a heavy price. And there have been people that have done that in days gone by. There are others that have problems with drugs and alcohol. Storms that are self-inflicted. Solomon said in the long ago, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. When people drink, many times they do not anticipate the problems that will come. But they come. I would encourage you sometime to read Proverbs 23 and note the anguish that the wise man talks about, inflicted upon those that engage in the consumption of alcoholic beverages. And then I'm reminded of the words of the wise man in Proverbs chapter 13, when he said, the way of the transgressor is hard. Again, we talk about the source of some of the storms that we face in life, and some of those storms are self-inflicted. Why? Because we made poor decisions in life. What I'm trying to do is get you to be preemptive or proactive in your life. Make wise decisions now so that down the road you don't suffer consequences. Sometimes the consequences that we face are life-altering. So think. And then there are those storms that we face in life that are not self-inflicted. I understand that there are certain problems that we can face from the vantage point of our physical health and even our mental health that are a result of abuse. That is, we have abused our body. But there are a lot of people in this world that are suffering. They are suffering chronically from disease and illness. And they didn't do anything to contribute to that. You remember in John chapter 9, Jesus talked about a man that had been born blind. The disciples of Jesus asked the question, Who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. There are some things that we encounter in life, some of the adverse circumstances of life, difficulties of life, storms of life, that come our way that we had nothing to do with. Years ago, I remember visiting a child at St. Jude Hospital on a regular basis. That little baby didn't do anything to merit that disease. That disease ended up 
ended up taking his life. We live in a world that is replete with sorrow and heartache and suffering. Now, if, you want to go, if you want to go back and, and try to identify the source of all of the heartaches that we face in life, go back to the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3. And then I want to talk for just a minute about the course of the storms that we face in life. When you read this account, Jesus along with the disciples, they are right in the middle of a storm. Sometimes we talk about being hit dead on or hit square by a storm or some other, some other circumstance in life. Well, there are times that we face storms in life, and those storms, they hit us head on, and they can drop us to our knees. You remember Job? I go back and I read the account of Job in chapters 1 and 2. And by the way, Job didn't do anything to merit the loss of his children, his finances, his servants, or his own health. But he suffered immensely. And so here is, here is a man that is faced with a tremendous storm in his life. That storm didn't go around him. It didn't go over him. It didn't go under him. It went right at him. Hit him square on. Storms will do that sometimes. And then I think about the force of the storms that we face in life. Go back again and look at the book of Job. Job was hit with, as we would say sometimes, all the force that the devil had to throw at him. Now, I understand the Lord told him not to take his life, but this guy he took what we would call a standing eight in boxing. He was hit, and he was hit hard enough to drop him to the canvas of life. And yet he got up, which tells me that the storms that we face in this life can do one of two things. On the one hand, the storms of life can be used to strengthen our faith. Let me give you a verse that in many respects, will make you think and rethink. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James said, Count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials. That'll make you scratch your head. To think that we are to have a joyful disposition over the trials, those outward trials of life, Sickness, illness, disease, heartache, financial reversal, the loss of a job. Any number of problems could fall under that heading. And you mean to tell me that James is saying, count it all joy when you fall into these trials? That's what he's saying. Do I count it all joy when I face the trials of life? Let me be honest with you. No, I don't. You know why? Because I'm a human being. 
I haven't reached that point in my life when I can count it all joy over any and every adverse circumstance that I face in life. But I understand that there is a purpose behind those things. One of the purposes is to bring about in my life a sense of perseverance or patience. James said, count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience or perseverance. Did you know in chapter 5 of the book of James that James would talk about the prophets that suffered for the cause? And he said, you have heard of the patience of Job. James is saying, you can, go, you can look back at the life of, of James, or rather you can look back at the life of Job. And you can see a man that learned to weather the storms of life. He learned, as we would say, perseverance. Here's what he said in chapter 13, verse 15 of his book. Speaking on behalf of what he was facing and his relationship to God. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You want to talk about deep-seated conviction and a persevering spirit? Job had a lot of questions in life. But the things, the adversities that he faced in this life, they strengthened his faith. The flip side of this is the trials, the storms of life can sink our faith. You ever known somebody that lost his or her faith because of some adversity that they faced in life, because of some storm that they encountered in life? I remember back in the 90s, there was a family that lost a child. The child was in school and on a school outing. An automobile accident occurred and the child less than 10 years of age taken into eternity. My understanding is it destroyed the faith of his father. I don't know if his father ever got his faith back. But that's what happens when we face the trials, the storms of life. So we talk about the, storm, the source of the storms that we face in life. The force and the course of those storms. A lot of lessons to be learned. What I would encourage us to do is to learn. To learn that the Lord is always in control. I want to call attention in the second place to the doubters who were fearful at sea. Hard to imagine the disciples of Jesus doubting or being in fear as we would say and yet that's what the text says look at verse 38 Mark said when he was in the stern or the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow they awoke him and said to him teacher 
Do you not care that we are perishing? A couple of things here. First of all, they doubted Jesus' care for them. Can you imagine that? I mean, listen again to what, what they asked. Do you not care that we are perishing? Had they not spent time with Jesus already? I mean, we talk about some of the things that the disciples had the opportunity to see and to hear. And I understand it was a three and maybe half year ministry in which they were being instructed by the master teacher. But surely they understood the Lord cared about them. And so they doubted as to whether or not he really cared, genuinely cared. I want to say this. The devil is in the business of sowing doubt in your heart or mind. Ever thought about that? Why do you think the devil wants you to doubt? Why would he want to discourage you? Because if he can create enough doubt and enough discouragement, what's going to happen? You'll leave him. You'll give up. Doubt and discouragement are great tools used by the devil. And so the devil is constantly trying to sow that seed in the hearts and lives of people. Here are the disciples of Jesus. Sometimes we talk about people in the world. And we say, well, they had this tragedy or that tragedy or this circumstance or that circumstance. They used to believe, believe in God, but now they don't believe in God. They used to believe that the Bible was the word of God, but now they really question that. Let me tell you what. The people in the world, the devil, he's already got them under his control. He's trying to attack the disciples of Jesus. He wants to sow doubt and discouragement in your mind and in your heart. So, two things I think stand out with regard to what they ask. And listen again to their question. Do you not care that we are perishing? Two things that I think all of us ought to know and understand and appreciate in life. Number one, the Lord cherishes us. What does it mean when we say, I cherish this or I cherish that? I think about children and how we cherish the association that we have with, with those little beings that we call bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. We genuinely love them, don't we? We're interested in their welfare and their well-being. We know what's going on in their lives. Why is that? Because we cherish them. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talked about a sparrow. And he said, a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without our heavenly Father knowing it. Now, I want you to think for just a minute about the birds that fly in the heavens. The other day, I was outside. And there were two flocks of birds that flew over my head. I have no idea how many birds were in the two separate flocks. I would estimate in the hundreds. 
unbelievable swath of birds. You mean to tell me one bird could fall to the ground and God in heaven would be mindful of that? That's exactly what I'm saying. Do I understand that? Can I wrap my mind around a God in heaven who has that kind of knowledge? Not really. But I can read Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, the Bible talks about Almighty God. And he said that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. And basically what he is saying is that there is no way that we as human beings can escape the presence of Almighty God. Why is that? Because he knows everything. He's everywhere at the same time. So Jesus is saying to those people in the first century, look, a bird cannot fall to the ground without God in heaven taking note of that. And then here's what he said. Are you not of more value than they? If a bird cannot fall to the ground without God in heaven knowing about that, does it not stand the reason that every tear that courses our face, that every heartache and sigh, that every storm and circumstance that we face in life, that the Lord be mindful of that? So yes, the Lord cherishes us, and then secondly, the Lord cares for us. I'm amazed sometimes at what some people know and what some people don't know. Sometimes I'm amazed that people that maybe ought to know better and ought to know more don't. There are a lot of people in the world that have an unrealistic view of Almighty God. The reason I use the word unrealistic is because it's not founded on Scripture. Likewise, there are a lot of folks in the church that have some grave misconceptions about God. It's amazing. The number of people that have the idea that God really doesn't care. That he's really not interested in our welfare. Let me tell you what, God is acutely interested in your welfare. God cares about you. Not only does he care about you, but his concern is stated over and over again in the scriptures. And Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, that we have the ability, the privilege, if you please, to cast every care on him. I want you to note what he says. For he cares for you. God cares about you. Now, they ask the question, do you not care that we're perishing? Who wrote that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7? The apostle Peter did. I could just imagine Peter asking that question because Peter oftentimes was very vocal about what he thought and what was going on at hand. I don't know who said it. But the Bible says that when they awoke him, they said to him, 
collectively. Do you not care that we're perishing? Let me tell you, the Lord cares. He has always cared and he will always care. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. It has to do with, with the discoveries that they made at sea. When you look at verse 41, there is a question that is asked. Listen if you would. Who can this be? I want to just pause there for a minute. They were in the presence of Jesus, weren't they? They were learning more every day about the identity of Jesus. There are a lot of things that we can learn from Scripture. I think that we can learn something new on a regular basis. One of the things that would have been, one of the privileges, I guess, you, I guess, I guess we could say, one of the privileges of spending time with Jesus would have been the opportunity to learn new things. To listen, to observe, to have the mind expanded. There are some folks that fascinate me. I remember when I was in college, I had a professor on one occasion. Actually, I had him for a number of classes. He used to absolutely amaze me. It seemed like he knew something about everything. He had a computer mind. He was brilliant. Well, imagine being with Jesus and the discoveries that you would make on a daily basis. Why? Because you're with God in the flesh. You are in the presence of the creator and the sustainer of the universe. There are two things that I believe these men learned about Jesus. A lot of lessons that they learned, but two specific things. Number one, they learned about the great power of the Lord. Look at verse 39. Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Now listen, if you would, to Mark's commentary. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You want to talk about absolute power? That's power. Jesus had the ability to call, to call down the wind. There's a question that is asked in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. The question is, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And we talk about the power of the Lord and the fact that they learned about the power of the Lord. Here's what I want you to see. There is not a storm that you face in this life. I don't care how violent that storm may be, how raging the seas may seem. There is not a storm that you face in this life beyond the control of our Lord. There is nothing he cannot handle.
I mean not one thing. Why is that? Because he is the Lord of the universe. He is in absolute control. We may not necessarily see that he's in control, but I promise you he is in control. There's a second thing, and that is they learned about the great presence of the Lord. In verse 39, Mark said, He arose and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Again, we talk about their doubts, their fears. So in verse 41, they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? The storm was raging. The boat was filling up with water. And yet Jesus was with them. He was with them the whole time. What can I take from, from this? I have the abiding presence of God in my life every day. To know that the Lord will be with me when the storm is approaching, when I'm in the middle of the storm, and when I come out of the storm. The Lord's with me every step of the way. He'll see me through. There are things that happen in this life that I don't necessarily have an answer for. But I know this, the Lord is in control. They wanted to know, who can this be? Their conviction summed up over, well, summed up by Peter Jesus the Christ the son of the living God I want to close tonight by saying this at some point in time in your life if you have not done so you're going to have to ask yourself about Jesus who can this be you're going to have to come to terms with what you think about his identity you're going to have to decide whether or not you believe that he is the son of God or somebody else. These men had the opportunity to learn, to observe, to hear. Today we learn, we observe, we hear through this book that we call the Bible. Simple accounts like the one we just read have some valuable lessons. I want us to understand that no matter what we face in this life, the Lord is in control. Sometimes life moves at a rapid pace. There are a lot of folks that have the idea that for them, their lives are out of control. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can get your life under control. Storms that you face in this life, he'll be with you. He'll stand by you. Passage that I've cited numerous occasions, Hebrews chapter 13, when the Lord said, I will never leave you nor forsake you.
The Lord, he'll be with you. He'll stand when no one else will. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Understanding that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. The Bible tells us that we need to repent, Acts 2.38, that we ought to be baptized into Christ so that our sins can be forgiven, washed away, Acts 22.16. If you're here tonight and you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to do that this hour. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to his cause, why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9? Would you come as we stand and sing?